0: This is the life church podcast for more messages to watch our live stream or to find other events go to lifechurchnow.org uh, we're kicking off a series today entitled sync and basically the subtext of this series is aligning your resources with God's priorities any guess on what we're going to be talking about in fact I know exactly I know exactly what you're thinking you're you're here right now you're thinking. Man, I am so excited that Pastor Rich is going to talk about money. <laughs> right? Like, he's probably been all week thinking, I'm going to invite a friend, my neighbor's coming, and I can't. Man, I just hope that he talks about money this weekend. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. I'm happy to oblige you. <laughs> I don't know why it's, this is such a difficult subject to talk about in church or so uncomfortable. I because honestly we talk about money all the time we talk about money at home we talk about money at work i mean there's songs about money there's books about money nobody walks to Barnes and Noble looks at the money section and goes i am so offended that they're having they're actually selling books about money nobody does that and yet when it comes to church we're like hey you know why are we going there and i've heard that you know way too often I think the reason for this is there's this fundamental misunderstanding of, of the Christian faith. I've talked about this before. I've talked about our life as a dresser, and I've kind of illustrated, you know, our, 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 our spiritual life, our faith life as this dresser. And oftentimes, the way we think about it is that we have these, this dresser, and there's all these drawers. And one of those drawers is our faith drawer, Other drawers are like, you know, the relationship drawer, your work drawer, your entertainment drawer. And then, of course, every one of us have a money drawer in this big dresser. And then we have our faith drawer. And maybe if you're like really religious or spiritual, then your faith drawer is a bigger drawer, maybe. And it's probably at the top of the dresser. And then you have all these other drawers that kind of fall underneath that. And oftentimes, that's how we understand our life as this dresser with all of these different categories and all of these different, different drawers. And, you know, you might say, well, you're okay. You're okay if Pastor Rich on a Sunday morning, you know, basically opens up the faith drawer. I mean, you're like, Pastor Rich, go at it, you know. Just rummage through that faith drawer, tell us what we need to do, more prayer, more, more this, more that, or whatever. You know, just go ahead, talk about our faith. But as soon as I start reaching for the money drawer, I might lose some fingers. Because we, don't, we should be talking about that in church. And that's oftentimes how we think. It's okay to talk about faith. It's not really okay to talk about money. That's a diff- different category altogether. And uh, it's a different compartment together and let's not talk about that right but this is what you need to understand the moment you start compartmentalizing your faith meaning the moment you see your faith as one of the drawers in this dresser and there's multiple other drawers in your dresser the moment you start compartmentalizing your faith we're no longer talking about the christian faith that's not the christian faith so, there's this, there's this singular idea throughout the scriptures of the Christian faith. It's called the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ. It's this idea that I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord, and therefore, He is over and above all aspects of my life. So, in, in the analogy that I'm using right now, Jesus is the dresser. He is. The Lord of all of the drawers of my life my money drawer, my entertainment drawer, my work drawer. He is over all of it. He is our Lord. So, as we talk about money, as we talk about stewardship, the starting point, this conversation starts with the Lordship of Jesus Christ the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's really what we're going to discuss today is the Lordship of Christ. If you study the Gospels, you quickly discover that Jesus loved, I mean, he loved, he loved opening the money drawer. <laughs> he did. I mean, just, you see it over and over again. You look at the passage, look at different passages in, in, in the Gospels, most of his application on truth was about money. 16 of 38 parables that he taught Money was the idea. Look at the Gospels and, and study all the verses about prayer. And five times more than that, he talks about money. Why? Why do you think Jesus had to talk so much about money? In fact, the scriptures tell us that the chief competitor for our hearts is not, you know, Satan and the devil. The chief competitor for our hearts is our stuff. Is money? That's why he talks about it. In fact, money tells the story of your heart. I mean, if I want to know, if I want to know the story, if I want to know where your heart is, all I have to do is follow the money. That's true for every single one of us. Jesus puts it this way: in Matthew 6:21, he says, For wherever your riches are. Wherever your resources are, wherever your money is, wherever your wealth is, wherever the stuff that you really prize in life, wherever your riches are, your heart will be there also. So money tells the story of your heart. That sounds offensive, I guess. Some of you might be like, oh, I don't know about that rich. It's almost like science. Just open the checkbook, and I could tell you what you love and what you don't love. So if you're a Christian then, the challenge for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ is to align our resources with God's priority. And when we do that, our resources will tell the story of our heart and who we love. There's three clues I think that, or maybe more than three I guess, but three that I picked out at least <laughs> that reveal that money may be winning the battle for your heart over you know, your love for God. And number one is this, you think that your money belongs to you. Well, of course it does, right? It's your checkbook. Your checking account has your name on it, so it belongs to you. So we think, I think, that my money belongs to me. Your money belongs to you. So as we talk about this subject, the starting point is theology. Understanding basic, basic theology. Here's the basic theology. Everything, okay? Let me say that word again. Everything belongs to God. I know that you you, you, know, you got clothes on and you, nobody else can wear your clothes or whatever. I, I get that. But the truth is that everything belongs. If we can begin with that premise, that everything belongs to God, it makes everything clear in our life. But if we begin with a premise that, no, there are some things that belong to God, but most things belong to me. This is mine. Then our, our resources will always be in competition with God's priorities. Will always be battling with what God wants. If I have this notion, this idea, that it belongs to me. Psalm twenty-four, one says this: "The earth is the Lord's earth, the whole earth. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it." So it begins with this issue of ownership. Do you believe it belongs to you, or do you believe it belongs to God? One of the ways that I can discern that there's confusion about ownership is that. You don't like to be told what to do with your money. <laughs> All right. Like Damon tried to tell us what to do with our money when we went to see him. <laughs> like, we don't want to do that with our money. But not, actually, he had good ideas for our money, but um, you don't like to be told what to do with your money. It kind of, kind of reveals that, you know, it just reveals that really there's this battle going on inside of you of, of ownership. For example, if you have a job where you manage or you, you, you operate a budget, maybe you, I don't know, how many of you have a job where you basically, you're the director, you're the manager, and there's a set amount of money that's underneath you that you need to manage. Just raise your hand real quick. Some of you, okay. You're very sheepishly. I, I could tell the ones who have like millions of dollars of their manager, they're, they're doing this. I don't want everybody to see that, you know. <laughs> Well, when you're managing a budget, do you ever have the notion, well, this is my money? Well, you might feel that way, but you're accountable for it, right? You can't just do whatever you want with it. Like, you know, if the the money is, let's say, designated for cancer research at the hospital, you're not going to like, hey, I think I'm going to go buy myself a new car with this, right? You you just know that you can't. Why do you know that you can't? Because you know that it's not yours, and that it belongs to somebody else and therefore it needs to be used in a certain way. You understand that. But if you handle your money as your money, then the mindset is it's mine. It's, I'm the final say. I can do whatever I want with it, right? God says everything belongs to me. And if we really believe that, then it shifts our understanding. It shifts how we operate. We begin to see ourselves more as stewards of what God has given us. And when we understand this, it frees up. Generosity in us. So a couple of years ago, somebody in our church came up to us at, at, around Christmas time and said, I'm sure there's a lot of needs around Christmas time. And so here's, a, I'm going to wrote a check for $2,000, said, Hey, just help somebody out there. Help somebody out there that's in need. You know, financial need. Some family, some single mom, or whatever. It's Christmas. Let's help them out. Now, we got that check. Gladly got that check. I didn't get that check. I said, Man, I have got, I'm going to have, I'm going to I'm getting an Apple watch. Yeah, I didn't do that, you know, because I knew it's not mine. It's not mine. And you know what else I knew? It's fun to spend this kind of money. I mean, it's fun to call a parent up and say, I know you're struggling around Christmas time. We're going to help you out with $500 gift card towards whatever. It's fun to do that. You know why it's fun to do that? Because it's not mine. It's a mentality, right? It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. I could, man, just give me your money. I'll spend it for you. I promise. That's how I feel. And the opposite is true. When I think it's mine, then I'm going to clamp down on it. And I'm not going to release it. And so there's a fundamental idea that we need to understand from the scriptures. And it's theology. Everything belongs to God. And when you have that understanding and that premise that everything belongs to God, suddenly it releases generosity in us. Another clue that money is competing with your love for God is uh, giving is what you do with leftovers. Giving is what you do with leftovers. Often that's how we operate when it comes to giving. It's not that we're not giving. It's just that we're giving what's left over, right? For some, there's nothing left over. And for others of you, it's a $20 bill on the, you know, on the, on the Sunday, on the Sunday. But that's not really, you know, and we feel generous about that because, after all, we did give the twenty dollar bill. But um, that's not really what the Bible teaches about giving. In fact, way before the law was ever instituted, I know that there's this controversy about, well, the Old Testament talks about tithing, and the New Testament doesn't really talk about tithing. That's not, that's kind of false already. But the New Testament's actual standard is even higher than the Old Testament's when it comes to giving. But even way before the law was ever established, God established provision for his people to give 10%. And not just any 10%, the first 10%. That's how God established it, right? Everything belongs to God. And so if, if I had this idea that everything belongs to God and, and he just wants me to give 10% of it, like he's entrusted me with something, he wants me to give, then that seems reasonable, right? It seems fair. I mean, think of it this way. You have a, a rich uncle, and this rich uncle comes into this inheritance, or maybe it's an investment, and, and he has his investment, and because your uncle is cool and he loves you, he decides to sign the investment over to you. And this investment basically nets $10,000 a month. You're going to receive $10,000 a month from this investment. Anybody happy about that? <laughs> Any rich uncles out there? I need a rich uncle like that, you know? I, I, I would feel that way. So you're going to get $10,000. Then your uncle comes along after, you, after he signed it over to you. He says, listen, this is your money, but here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> I need about 1000 of that just for some other purposes. So will you, when you get that $10,000 check, will you just write me a check for $1,000? Now, will any of you say, well, no way. It's my money. Some of you might say that. But most of us, reasonable people say, well, that's reasonable. That makes Complete sense, of course, I, I would gladly give you. I'd give, in fact, I'll give you 2000 If you're going to give me that much each month, why would I do that? Because it was his in the first place. He could do whatever he wants with it. And he's entrusted me with it, and he's simply asking me to give part of it back. All right? It's reasonable. So it begins with this knowledge that it all is his in the first place. And he calls us, he invites us to give a portion back, the first 10%. Another clue that maybe um, money is competing for your love with God is that you think this sermon is stupid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how many of you are actually thinking that. You might be. I'm not gonna call for a show of hands. Or you can raise your hand if you want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This might be an indication that money and stuff are kind of competing for your heart if you think this sermon is stupid. I have discovered for me that I find that the less I want to hear about something, typically the more I need to hear it. Right? Like even this sermon. If I don't really want to hear this, odds are that you really need to hear it. Because it's stupid. (laughs) Why are we talking about this? I don't want to talk about this. Let's talk about spiritual things. That's usually the line I usually hear is just talk more about spiritual things. But chances are that you really need to hear this. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had over the years where it's the conversation started out with a text or an email or a phone call that basically said, hey, your sermon on Sunday was stupid. (laughs) They They didn't actually all say those words, but similar words like that. And, and we sit down, we start talking, and especially when and most of those have been around this idea of money and the tension with money. And so I sit down, we start, we get into the scriptures, we engage the scriptures, we, we start talking about this, we we set up a we set up a process for getting to what, what the scriptures actually teach about it, you know. And those people, some of you are actually sitting here right now, those people are the most excited now to talk about stewardship because they discovered something. They discover the freedom of this mind shift that happens when we realize it's not mine. It's God's anyways, right? And when we are released to that, it releases generosity in us, and you discover true life. You've crossed that theological barrier of the lordship of Christ. We talk about lordship all the time in many different ways, but that's really what it boils down to. Is he the Lord of your life? And if he's the Lord of your life, he's the Lord over all the drawers in your dresser. Amen? Listen, the most miserable people I know, the most miserable people I know are Christians who are trying to live with one foot serving God and then the other foot's basically doing their own thing. And there's this continuous tension that exists, this continual, continuous misery that exists because we're kind of halfway in and halfway out. Jesus wants it all. He wants to be the Lord of your life completely. So when we get this, when we get the Lordship of Christ, it frees us up. Um, I love what Deuteronomy says, uh, Deuteronomy 14.23. This is the living Bible. It says it this way. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. I love this. The purpose of planned giving, that's what tithing is, planned giving, 10% planned giving. The purpose of that planned giving is to teach you to trust God with everything. I think some of us, we give because we think God needs our money, right? Maybe that's how you grew up. Maybe you grew up in church where you thought, well, the reason I need to give is because, well, the, the church needs We say the church needs it, and we translate, that means God needs it. And sometimes even p- preachers have communicated that, like, We need it. Like God's got to pay his rent or something, and he needs the money, the rent money. Hurry up and get that in, you know. That's not at all the case. In fact, the exact opposite is the case. God doesn't need your money. And if he did need it, he would just simply take it because it's all his anyways. What God wants is our hearts. And so he says, hey, do this. Show to me that I have your heart that's really what this is all about. So money tells a story of your heart, who you love and what you love, right? But it gets even more literal than you think, because sometimes we can start talking about this idea of where's our heart? You know, do I love God? Do I love stuff more than God? I can start, we can have a conversation about it. And, um, you know, you could tell me, your emotions could say one thing, your, your, your thought life, whatever. We could talk about your thoughts, but that's all intangible stuff. I can't measure those things. So it actually gets a lot more literal than this. It's a lot more tangible than this. Jesus in Matthew 25 tells a parable. It's kind of a short parable, but then he, he leads into a really long explanation. And this, this, uh, this explanation that he gives is in the context of the final judgment, right? Matthew 25 talks about the final judgment. In fact, I have the verses up here, but they're we have the wrong text. It says Matthew 24. It's actually Matthew 25. I, I made a mistake. But um, I'm going to read this text. And it's a familiar passage, I'm sure, to you. I'm just going to read it all the way through. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 34 through 45, it says this. <clears throat> then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, <clears throat> the kingdom... Take your, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to eat. Let me just back up a little bit. He says, he, he starts off by talking about come and take your inheritance. This idea of you've, you've, you've made it, you've arrived, you've, you've made it into heaven kind of idea here. And then he associates it with the hungry and the thirsty and all of that, right? For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous, those who he's giving them their inheritance, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? So they're perplexed. We don't remember doing that. We don't remember seeing you, Jesus. The king will answer, will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He makes this connection between the least of these and Christ. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do. Again, there's the association of doing. It's more than just your thought life. It's more than just the feelings or the emotions that are generated when you see somebody hurting or in need. It's action. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So here Jesus says that when we give of our time, when we give over our resources, when we give over our finances to someone who's in need, we're actually literally like giving it to Jesus. Now, what, the thing is, it's literal, right? It's not just emotions. It's not just a thought that you have or a feeling that you have. He's actually talking about action. Now, what's even, you know, what's you see here, he mentions, for example, the hungry, I don't know if you know this, but one in seven, one in seven people in the world do not have enough food to eat. This year, this year, nine million people will die hunger by, because of hunger-related issues. Nine million people will die. He talks about the thirsty. I don't know if you, I want you to imagine this. I've seen this actually firsthand of a person with a bucket, a child typically with a bucket, walking for miles and miles, sometimes seven, eight, ten miles, to find water for their family. And when they find the water for their family, what they find is bacteria-infested water, parasites. That's the plight of 1.2 billion people on the face of the earth today. I think most of us are well-intentioned people. We, we feel the needs when we see a hungry child, when we see a child that doesn't have good drinking water, it breaks our hearts, right? But it seems overwhelming, right? So we often will say to ourselves, somebody, somebody surely will do something about that. But here's a problem. If everybody says, somebody surely will do something about that, what happens? Nobody does anything about it. Richard Stearns, he's the used to be the president of World Vision. Now he's the president of emeritus of World Vision. He has this sobering paraphrase of Matthew 25. He said, and actually, when I first read this, it so convicted me. I sat in my office and just wet my eyes out because I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Rich, that's you. He says, For I was hungry, but you went out to eat again. I was thirsty, but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick, and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison, and you said I was getting what I deserved. Listen, if you study Matthew 25, Jesus is not only saying that if you do these things, you're doing it for him or to him, but he flips it as well. He says if you don't do these things, whatever it is that you're doing, you're not doing it for him. I um, many of you know we 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 uh, we served in Bangladesh for many years. I recently came across this uh, video on Netflix um, called Tales by Light. I really encourage you to watch. It's just it's a, it's a it's a series that focuses on um, cinematography and, and shots p- particularly of children. But um, it just shows all kinds of amazing, amazing uh, shots. But they have this one episode of Dhaka, Bangladesh, the slums in Dhaka, Bangladesh. In fact, my my son and daughter-in-law yesterday watched it at our house. Um, These kids, and I've actually seen this firsthand, where there are kids that are basically a parent dies, a mother dies, and then the father just basically abandons the children. They live in this city of 12, 14 million people basically on the streets, and so they have to survive. And how do they survive? Well, they survive by picking garbage, most of them. It showed this, uh, this one scene where these kids walk out into this basically, it's a swamp. It's a, you know, it's water. It's swampy water. It's maybe two, three, four feet deep. And, but the, the trash is so much that it looks like just basically a, 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 a field of trash. But then as you start seeing the kids walking on it, it's just, it's mushy because there's water beneath it. And if you can imagine, that's where these kids are. They're picking trash. They go through stuff. They find, and I, like I told you, I live there. I know what it's like. You get in a home like ours where we would have trash, stuff that, was, that we're not gonna consume and we're not gonna eat that we throw out. We had some help, helpers in our house that would take that trash and they would sift through it and take what they wanted, and then what was left over, they would just go out to the local, just a little uh, dumpster out there. They'd throw that out. Then there were some pickers that would go to that dumpster, and they would sift through that dumpster the stuff that they wanted and leave stuff behind. And then the trash truck would come by, and they would scoop everything. And by then, it's just disgusting. They scoop everything up from there, and they throw it in the back of this trash truck. And then that trash truck goes out to that dump that I'm talking about in this video, and they dump everything there. And that's what these kids are picking through. I have to be honest with you, when I saw that the first time, it broke my heart. And it reminds me of, it reminds me of Matthew 25. We've done it to the least of these. You've done it to me. Listen, when we see things like this, we can feel overwhelmed. We can walk away with a sense of hopelessness, like, how can I possibly do anything? <clears throat> I know that's how I could feel, right? But listen, we're, we're the church. You and I, we're the church. There's a mandate. By you saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a Christian, there's a mandate upon you to do something about Matthew 25. Together, there's amazing potential. I like what Jesus says there in Matthew 25:40 He says, whatever you did for one whatever you did for one of these the least least of these look I may not be able to do for everybody but I can do for somebody in fact that's God's mandate on me now just imagine that multiplied times 800 would be the attendance of life church what if all 800 of us said, I can't do for everybody, but I'll do for somebody. Can you imagine how we could change the world if every single one of us took Matthew 25 seriously? We could change the world. I love being a part of a church that's committed to this. In fact, I long for the day when people will not know us for the things that we don't that we disagree with. I mean, oftentimes that's what churches are known for, right? The stuff that they disagree with. Along for the day when we're not going to be known for even the stuff that we believe, important as it might be. But as Jesus taught that we will be known by who we love. And it's literal. It's practical. It's not just emotional when we show God's love in extravagant sacrificial generous ways the people in need around us we tell a story we tell a story of our heart let's align our resources with God's priorities and tell the right story